for several months in order to prepare for the discussion three months later. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Big banks. The impossible takes two days and miracles take three. Where you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotrahora. Global stocks rise on the Greek deal. Most Asian stock futures climb, but Chinese and Hong Kong futures are mixed. And Cyprus faces fierce opposition in Athens for the austerity measures he's agreed to in exchange for a new bailout. More than 250 China A shares will resume trading today. Well, Greece has finally reached a deal with Eurogroup leaders, but the question is, does it have legs? We'll look at the latest on the Greece situation and then talk markets with Sunghun Kai's financials, Kenny Wan. Also joining the conversation is senior partner of King and Wood Mallison's Ronald R. Cully. And Connie Bolland of Hong Kong Economic Research Analysis is back in the chair as guest host. Good morning, Connie. Good morning, Renita. Connie, Greece's last-ditch bailout requires the country to sell 50 billion euros. That's 55 billion U.S. dollars worth of assets. It's an ambition that it hasn't come close to achieving under previous restructuring plans. So what do you think? Well, it is indeed difficult, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible. I think um, what uh, Zebra had to do is to come for a sort of overseas trip um, just to find the potential buyers. It can come to Asia, China, uh, Singapore, or even U.S., which, uh, you know, whose economy is taking shape. Uh, there are people who will be willing if they see a potential, but obviously the reform is important. Seems like more work is cut out for him. Also, the euro area deal with Greece was variously denounced as blackmail, an attack on national sovereignty and an end to the European dream. The chief culprit has been determined as Angela Merkel. Is this going to take a toll on her reputation? Uh I don't think so. I think actually um, he, she is trying very hard to pull the strings together. And you know how tired, you can see how tired she was. She was exhausted after the deal uh, was struck and, uh, you know, it's a marathon kind of summit. I, I actually think that she has done remarkably well. All right. Well, Eurozone leaders have agreed unanimously to offer Greece a third bailout deal. RTHK's UK correspondent is Gavin Gray, and he said that many felt the agreement now left the Greek economy in the hands of Europe. There are going to be big reforms to pensions, and for the word reforms, read cuts. Greek pensions have been pretty generous, both in the scale of the pension, but also at the age at which you're allowed to take that pension and retire if you work for the public sector. That is looking like it's going to be drastically changed. The international creditors, it's thought, will have access to work on the ground in Greece in order to check that what has been promised is actually being done. Again, down to trust. Now, there's also talk that uh, the creditors want Greece to privatise lots of things currently owned by the state in Greece. They reckon that'll generate around 50 billion euros. The Greeks have said, no, 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 we just don't have 
those sorts of things in order to sell. The creditors say, yes, you do. And in order to make sure that you sell them, we want to put them in a kitty which is not under your control, and we will make sure that you privatize them. And this is, in some sense, the loss of economic sovereignty for Greece. So there's no doubt that there's a lot there that Alexis Tsipras has had to effectively swallow. And the reason he had to swallow it and eat a bit of humble pie is because at one point, They were showing him the exit door. They were saying, we will let you leave or force you to leave the euro temporarily. And it was at that point, I think, that they effectively forced his arm behind his back and made him to agree to some of these things. There's a hashtag campaign, incidentally, called This Is A Coup, which has now gained hundreds of thousands of signatures. And that is people saying, you know what, this is effectively Europe now running the Greek economy. Well, in this part of the world, uh, Chinese markets have been in the green so far this week. But Atlantic Council senior fellow Jamie Metzl told Bloomberg that further selling could be on the cards. China is a big deal story. And yes, China has banned people from selling their stock. They've locked up 50 percent of the, of the shares. Um, they've forced insurance companies and pension firms and sovereign wealth funds to buy into the state-owned enterprises. So yes, there's this bounce of those big state-connected companies, but there are all of these other stocks that are just locked up. And if you're an owner of that of those shares and you're some little mom and pop and 80% of the investors are retail investors, when you can sell, maybe you're even forced to sell, you're very, very likely going to do it. I don't think that unless something else bigger happens, there's going to be a massive impact on on the real economy of China. But the, the big story here, in my mind, is what this does to Xi, Xi Jinping's reform agenda. Because uh, three years ago, uh, two and a half years ago, he and his government said, we're going to let market forces allocate resources. And the biggest problem that China faces is the misallocation of resources stemming from the misallocation of political resources. Peter Atwood is the founder and president of Financial Insights, and he says that this is the beginning of a much bigger and longer downturn in China. Retail is always the last to the party. And the fact that you have mom and pop from China actively, aggressively speculating in the market says this is much more like 29 than it is 87. The problem with that is that the Chinese government, in response, is going to become more and more reactionary and authoritarian as confidence continues to fall. And, you know, even though they've you know, closed down the markets effectively, that's not stopping the decline in confidence. In fact, as, as a researcher, I would say it's exacerbating it. Of course. So, so the problem is that mood is continuing to drop while you have a market that is highly regulated. And at this point, if they try and reopen the market, you'll see a similar cascade, not unlike what's going to happen in Greece when they reopen the banks. But how do you measure this confidence? Here's Atwater again. So to watch the Chinese government go from encouragement, encouragement, encouragement to draconian steps says someone in China, policymakers react to mood. They are terrified that this free market economy has gotten away from them. And the challenge will be that in response, as mood keeps falling, they're going to have to keep becoming more and more authoritarian, more nationalistic. And I don't think people have quite grasped what this means for transnational corporations who are operating in China. Yeah, I think Peter is exactly right. The story here is not that there's a market correction. Of course, there was always going to be a market correction because the increase was obviously a bubble. 
The story is that the Chinese government has gone nuclear in its response to this very natural downturn and has put all of its credibility on the line. Why? Not, not, Why is not, the Chinese not money, though? Not, not money, right? I mean, well, there is money because twenty billion dollar. Wait, but it's not yeah. just that they're backing all of the margin loans, which has the potential to be much bigger. They're forcing uh, the the sovereign wealth funds uh, to invest, the insurance companies to invest. So there's a lot of liability. China has a lot of money, so they can cover this problem with their their cash. The issue is that they've gone nuclear in response, and so now it's a lose lose situation for the Chinese because if the stock markets stay high, let's just say they bail this out, then they have a, they have uh, equity valuations that just don't make any sense. And if they go, like a hundred times earnings. Ridiculous. And if yeah. it goes down, a little less. But if it, if it goes down, uh, then they lose because the population looks at the government and say, we thought you were magicians and you can't even keep stock prices. Why? Ruchir Sharma is the author of Breakout Nations and also head of emerging markets at Morgan Stanley Investment Management. And he sees China's massive buildup in debt as its fundamental problem. That if you talk to many people out here, their sort of view is that, hey, in China, uh, despite the massive buildup in debt over the last few years, everything is different because the government controls everything out there. So the government will backstop all the losses, uh, that even the losses that the retail investors take, they'll be able to backstop everything because they have so much money to do this. But if something spins out of control, where it seems that the government is not entirely in control of the situation, that really questions the Beijing put. That, uh, and we had a similar concept in the U.S., if you remember, with the Greenspan put in the, uh, in the 1990s and much of the last decade, when it appeared that every time the U.S. would be in trouble, the Fed would do something to rescue right. the economy until it couldn't in 2007-2008 because of the massive build-up in debt. So I think in China, the fundamental problem remains is that no other developing country in history has stacked on as much debt as China has stacked on since 2008. All right, let's bring in our first guest, Kenny Wan, who is a wealth man- management strategist at Sanghankai Financial. Good morning, Kenny. Good morning, Vimita. Kenny, you heard Ruchir Sharma. Is China's massive buildup of debt the main problem? Uh, yes, but I think there's two issues. First of all, is in terms of the stock market. Uh, up to now, there's still around 1.4 trillion margin finance in the stock market. So if the stock market continues to drop down, then uh, some investor may be forced to sell uh, their holdings. Then maybe create some uh, negative wealth effect, and it will hurt the economy because now the management. Uh, I mean, the central government is want to use the uh, stock market for the financing for some companies. So now the economy and the stock market is linked. And the second one is in terms of the debt burden in terms of these companies uh, is relatively high in terms of some uh, international standards. But I think uh, the issue is manageable. Because, for example, compared with some uh, international countries, the exposure of equity is relatively small in terms of uh, in in China. For example, uh, compared with the property market, the property market market size is 2.4 times compared with the uh, stock market uh, market cap. So I think uh, the key will be property market. And in terms of the stock market, the risk is still manageable. So, Kenny, I mean, this is a good point. You know, people put their money in property, they lost it. They put their money in stocks, they're, they're, <laughs> they're losing it. What is next? Is China running out of growth drivers? 
I think the government will continue to support the uh, stock market, and after a series of policy support, including suspending uh, IPO and 21 brokerage firms set up a stabilization fund, talking about uh, 120 billion to support the, the stock market. Now uh, the government win the first victory in a long-lasting war. Uh, the market is already stabilized because we think uh, we, we we see that. Uh, the Shanghai Composite Index found the bottom in around 3,500 and now it's around 4,000. But the key point is the second step is how to restore uh, the retail investor confidence. Those we call China Daima, they are the, uh, they are the, the, the trading power is huge. And even though the brokerage firm will invest le- not less than one, uh, 120 billion into the market, but compared with the daily trading volume, talking about one trillion, it's just equal to one hour trading uh, volume. So I think how to restore the retail investor confidence is the key, but Everyone know that uh, you can lose the confidence in one second, but uh, even though not decade, but we build the trust. It take maybe at least few weeks, and don't forget that some uh, stocks will be reconsum- resumption. And uh, after the government buy the, buy the uh, stocks, they need to sell them in one day. So in somehow in one day, the selling pressure will emerge. Well, Kenny, I just want yeah. to ask you about this uh, distribution of wealth yeah. um, of the daimas, the households. <laughs> I mean, how much do they put the money in stocks and how much did they put it in bank savings mm. or um, so property, roughly speaking? We don't have the exact figures and the fake figures uh, done by some uh, uh, international company is not updated. But I can say that... Uh, this figure is not the, the final figure because uh, there's uh, what we call off balance sheet item. So the official margin finance is nowadays uh, the highest point is two point three trillion uh, in the, the early June. Now it's around one point four trillion. But how about outside what we call share, shadow banking? So according to our company uh, forecast, the total margin finance, including off balance sheet item and shadow banking, at the maximum point is around four trillion. But comparing with uh, the, the bank saving and property market, is still a relatively low level. Kenny, is there going to be a capital flight from China? Uh, yes, maybe. It depends on several factors. First of all, the confidence of investors. And it also depends on uh, the interest rate movement in the U.S. Uh, for example, if the U.S. weighs interest rate in September and the China may reduce interest rate uh, further in, uh, in order to support the economy and the stock market, and there may be some capital uh, redistribution among the global stock market. So I would like to ask you a question, yeah. you know, following on Ruchir Sharma's conversation at Bloomberg earlier. He, he made an interesting point. He said that historically, every single recession, global recession, that is, has come out of the U.S. But over the <laughs> next few years, uh, he feels that a global recession will be made in China, just like uh. other things, he <laughs> says. Do you agree? Do you think China will tip the world into recession? <laughs> My answer will be maybe because you can see that uh, China, the debt problem is huge. Uh, there's uh, some shadow banking issue. But don't forget that there's a capital, uh, their capital account is, is not open. So even though there's some crisis in China, I doubt that the contingent effects will not spread into other countries because they are closed in terms of the market. For example, uh, every, 
many investors will invest in U.S. stock market or bond market, but now the uh, the foreign investor only account for two or three percent for the Asia's markets. So even though there's some uh, sentiment issue, but in terms of the spillover events or economic damage to the global market, uh, luckily because the China market is is uh, is uh, is not mature, is not open, so the contingent effect should be relatively limited. All right, Kenny. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on Money for Nothing. That is Kenny Wan, and he is a wealth management strategist at Sunghankai Financial. Well, we'll be back to continue the discussion on China with Ronald Arkali, who is a senior partner at King & Wood Mallisons and also a former head of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. That's right after this. The government public transport fare concession scheme is being extended to green minibuses in phases from March 29th. Using a designated octopus, elderly people aged 65 or above and eligible persons with disabilities can travel on green minibuses with the scheme logo for just $2 per trip. For details, please visit the Labor and Welfare Bureau's website. The time is now 8.20 a.m. And uh, let's take a quick look at the numbers this morning. The Nikkei is up 1.3% uh, to 20,362. Australia's ASX 200 and Seoul's Kospi are both up four-tenths of a percent uh, to 5,483 and 2,070, respectively. In currencies, one euro is currently valued at 1.09. U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is trading at 123.62 yen and one pound sterling buys you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 99 cents and one U.S. dollar and 54 cents. Well, Chinese stocks, as we know, have been up since last week, but only after some of the most draconian measures taken by the government to prop up the markets. This begs the question as to whether state intervention in equity markets is more of a political rather than an economic issue. Let's talk to King & Wood Mallison senior partner, Ronald Arkali. Good morning, Ronald. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. And thank you so much for joining us on Money for Nothing. It's Pleasure. been a while. Ronald, you know, earlier, uh, Xi Jinping's government said that, you know, we need to let market forces allocate resources. But of course, things have, you know, turned, taken a, taken on a totally different turn now. Why is the Chinese government so keen to intervene? I think, Rina, uh, you probably have to sort of go back, you know, a bit in history in terms of, you know, the stock market uh, in mainland China really, uh, in terms of the modern-day China, uh, was really probably started off life in about 1992 in Shanghai and Shenzhen. So we've just had over just over 20 years. And as you know, over the last 20 years, Hong Kong uh, has been working very close. Uh, with China, not just on the business side, on the commercial side, but also on the financial side. And we've learned a lot from each other's market, and we have, in fact, grown uh, together as the Chinese economy has grown in the past 20 years. So, you know, when you when you allow sort of uh, or join free markets gradually step by step, 
there probably comes a time where you come to, you know, a couple of main crossroads. And I guess um, the current uh, government, uh, when they first took office, <clears throat> when they decided to sort of um, uh, further modernize uh, the market uh, in terms of allowing the market to have greater say, you know, that was undoubtedly a step in the right direction. Now, what you also had happening at the same time was quantitative easing globally, you know, from the United States to Europe to Japan, and you know, obviously in terms of China as well, uh, recently in terms of the slowdown um, in the economy with, within the mainland. So all these factors sort of you know, go into play uh, apart from uh, the investing public in mainland China being, how do I say, having fairly restricted and limited choices uh, as to the types of investment product. Um, and, and this is where you know, things like the you know, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Stock Connect and uh, uh, events like that is really you know, with a view of trying to open up the market without you know, letting the market go ballistic. But you know, unfortunately, you know, as, as life would have it, uh, you know, some of the things that you want to prevent actually, actually happens. And it so happens that you know, over a year ago, I guess, uh, the the um, uh, the investing public in mainland China started building up a portfolio of Chinese uh, listed shares, uh, and you know in a in a year, in just over a year, it's gone over 100 percent, you know, both at Shanghai and even higher at Shenzhen uh, Stock Exchange. So I think these are sort of you know, things that have built up that is being looked at right now. Certainly, Ronald, but, you know, the Chinese government's desire to really prop up the markets rather than just letting market forces play, uh, what is the, their concern? Are they worried that they'll be seen as increasingly impotent and, you know, if they don't do something, there's going to be widespread social unrest? No, no I, I don't think so. And I think in fairness, um, you know, when you look at global markets, uh, you know, the Chinese government is not the only one. Uh, that uh, through, you know, the, whatever means they have and, uh, um, you know, whatever uh, ability they have uh, in trying to sort of uh, cool the market down, uh, it's not something that they invented. Um, you know, we did it in Hong Kong in 1997, uh, 98, um, Asia financial crisis. We did in 1998. Uh, but also if you look at <coughs> uh, America, uh, if you look at other markets, uh, <coughs> that, that has happened as well. Uh, so, so I think, uh, you know, obviously, uh, in terms of uh, the, the conduct of proper business uh, on exchanges and so on and so forth, um, you know, China is not the exception. Of course, uh, you know, it comes at a, at a time where, um, you know, the world is going through, you know, different uh, sort of challenges, you know, from, you know, what's happening in Europe and Greece, uh, you know, that has dragged on for you know, a number of months. Uh, to, you know, what's happening in China today. So I think the, the attempt really, I, I don't believe, is political, politically motivated. Um, I believe that you know, any government uh, seeing what's happening, uh, dislocation in the market, um, is likely to intervene and see what is available. Connie? Well, Ronald, sure, um, you know, other governments have done it. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Chinese government has to follow suit if intervention uh, will create certain moral hazard issue and also in the process of liberalizing their markets. Wouldn't you think that uh, it will hurt a bit of reputation? Um, 
I think everybody will suffer a reputational uh, setback. Um, the question is, uh, how do you go about sort of restoring confidence in the marketplace? And I think when you look at, um, you know, not just the stock market uh, situation in mainland China, uh, the global financial markets have been talking about shadow banking for a long time. Um, but also, I mean, if you look at where the debt is coming from within mainland China, be it margin financing recently or be it uh, shadow banking, um, a large part of it really comes from your know, domestic uh, investors. Um, and if you look at the debt situation in Japan, probably 80%, 90% of the debt in Japan uh, is financed, again, uh, by domestic investors there. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, if, if that's the case, uh, it is uh, not going to spread out beyond the shores of mainland China to affect other global markets. Um, also, at the same time, there's been an encouragement by the mainland government for mainland investors to invest you know, outside of China. And I think part of the reason has to be uh, because of the, uh, the limits or the, uh, of the type of product that is available onshore. So the encouragement to go offshore is really to try uh, and prevent you know, uh, what has happened uh, you know, to get worse or to, to have happened in the first place. All right, Ronald, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Ronald Arcali, and he is a senior partner at King & Wood Mallisons. Well, it's time uh, to take another look at the numbers this morning. The Nikkei is uh, up 1.46% to 20,382. Australia's ASX 200 index is up 1.73% to 5,554. And Seoul's Kospi up 0.13% to 2064. Gold currently stands at $1,155.60 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $57.40. Well, Connie, here we are. It's uh, almost the end of the show. Uh, Of course, we've got our eyes on the the China markets this week, although everything is looking pretty hunky-dory up until now. What else should we be looking for? Well, don't forget the economy. The GDP number is coming out from China uh, tomorrow, and uh, I guess all eyes will be on that. All right, Connie. Thank you so much. That's Connie Bolland. She is the founder and chief economist at Hong Kong Economic Research Analysis and our regular Tuesday guest host on Money for Nothing. And I'm Renita Malhotrahora wrapping up for this morning's edition. Let's take a quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be mainly fine apart from isolated showers. Very hot during the day with a maximum temperature of around 33 degrees. Like to moderate southerly winds and uh, the temperature right now is 29 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 84%. Time for the half hour news summary now with Samantha Butler. Uh, Alexis Tsipras is facing growing opposition in Athens to sweeping new austerity measures he agreed to introduce in exchange for a new bailout. The deal requires the Greek parliament to approve tax rises, pension cuts and changes to employment laws by tomorrow. The head of the Eurogroup, Jerome Dijsselbloem, has said it may take around four weeks for the new bailout program for Greece to be worked out. After another meeting of finance ministers from Eurozone countries, Mr Dijsselbloem said they'd set up a working group to address some of the more urgent financial issues Greece is facing. There are technical, legal, financial and political uh, issues to consider. 
So we have tasked, let's say, an ad hoc working group of technical uh, experts to look into that. They have already started today. It's very complex. The White House says talks in Vienna aimed at reaching a deal on Iran's nuclear program have made progress, but there are issues that remain unresolved. Six world powers, including the US, Russia and Britain, have been negotiating with Tehran for 17 days about scaling down its nuclear activities in return for the lifting of some economic sanctions. The latest deadline for reaching a deal has just passed. From Washington, here's the BBC's John Sopol. Really, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed because you change one word and the other side could say, well, we need to change another word and then you have to go back and renegotiate and whole text can suddenly reopen that you thought had been closed down. So, you know, when we see them brandishing it and reading from the document, I think we will know then that they've finally got there. Gay adults will be allowed to serve as Boy Scout leaders in the United States after a unanimous vote to lift a ban that's lasted more than a century. The BBC's Simon Ponsford reports. There's been growing pressure on America's Boy Scout movement to end its ban on gay leaders, which has been in place since the organisation was founded in 1910. Conservative religious groups have been reluctant to change the policy, but in May the Boy Scouts of America's president, Robert Gates, warned that such